This is the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, Episode 16. You're listening to the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast, the number one resource for running a profitable home recording studio. Now your hosts, Brian Hood and Chris Graham. Good afternoon, Chris Graham. How are you doing today? I'm wonderful, Brian Hood. How are you, sir? I'm doing great today, and I'm really excited about today's episode topic because I think it will help a lot of people uh, who tend to fall into the trap of just taking whatever they can get. And so today's topic is going to be about spotting red flags. We're going to give you eight red flags to look out for whenever you are potentially talking to a new client, someone who comes into the studio or someone you're working with on a mixing project or a mastering project or whatever it is that you do. Before you start working with them, you want to look out for red flags. You would never want to marry a girl if you spotted a ton of red flags. Otherwise, it could end in a very, very bad situation for you. And so in order to prevent yourself from getting into a bad relationship with a band or a solo artist or whatever it is that you work with, you want to spot the red flags. Chris, have you ever had red flags that you've spotted with people before? Oh, sweet saucy molasses, have I ever. <laughs> this was honestly one of the easiest episode topics we've ever had to outline before. It really was. It took us like three minutes. <laughs> All right, so before we actually get into this episode, we want to preface this a little bit with a couple things. Chris, you want to go with this part? Yeah, for sure. You know, the first thing we got to keep in mind for these red flags is depending on where you are in the world and what genre you're in, what country you're in, whether you're doing work around the corner or around the globe, culture comes into this. So some of these issues might not apply, but that's really not that important. The most important thing is that you have a personal list of red flags that you look out for. So again, this is going to be an a la carte episode of pick and choose the ones that to you sound like they're probably pretty on the money. But the best thing you can possibly do and to keep in mind is that no one knows your customers better than you do. No one's experienced what you've experienced. So having a list of, hey, in the future, I need to watch out for this. In the future, when a client says this, that should give me pause. So that's the most important take home right out of the gates from here. You know, me and Brian are going to share some, some stories about issues that we've had and red flag policies that we have as a result of having issues. And feel free to take some of those and put those on your own personal red flag list. So just imagine this, if you are talking to a band, an artist, and you take on a project that you shouldn't have because you ignored a red flag, and later on down the road, they now hate you for no fault of your own, except the fault was your own because you just ignored a red flag. It's like dating a person who you were really attracted to, and they were an absolute train wreck in every other aspect of their life. They were on drugs, they stole things from people, they were a violent person or whatever, and but they were hot and you ignored that. You have full responsibility for anything that happens in that relationship after the fact. You have to take responsibility if you ignore red flags. And so what we want to do here in this episode is just make sure that you know what red flags to look out for because you don't know what you don't know. And so there could be some of the nightmare projects you've had in the past are because you didn't know how to spot these red flags. And today's episode is all about helping you spot those red flags so you can skip out on those projects or pass it off to someone else. Yeah, and a big thing to keep in mind here, especially if you are just starting out, is that oftentimes these sort of red flag clients, these sort of nightmare clients, they bounce around from engineer to engineer to engineer to engineer. 
and they eventually end up trying to work with new people. And the worst, most depressing thing ever is when someone's like, I'm, you know, I'm going to start a business. I'm going to make my home studio work for me. And my first four projects were with psychopaths. That's terrifying and depressing. And this can be really tough stuff. It, even today, it's difficult for me to spot a red flag. It's not hard for me to spot a red flag, but it's hard to see that red flag and be like, hmm, this is not going to go well. I should pass on this. And so this is tough stuff. Emotionally, it's difficult to pass on a project. I don't think that ever changes. And one other preface we want to make here is you have to gauge these against your own desperation for projects (laughs) (laughs) because some people really, really need projects. And when you're just starting out, if you're in what we call yes mode, where you're just saying yes to everything, you may not have the luxury of looking past this sort of stuff. Now there is going to be a threshold for everybody. Even me, when I was first starting out, if there was a project that was just something I knew would be an absolute nightmare on all fronts, I would skip that even if it meant I'm turning down a project. So there has to be a threshold. Only you can be the one that determines that. But if you are in what we call yes mode right now, where you're saying yes to everything, you know, some of these may not apply to you. But for now, let's go ahead and move into number one on our list of eight red flags to look out for when talking to clients. All right, so number one is odd requests. Yeah, so this one would be, in my opinion... Odd requests are anything that an artist asks for that makes you say or think, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) Anything that makes you say that or think that uh, is a red flag. And so it could be something like super, super technical, general specifications on exactly what gear. Chris, did you have anything in that that you wanted to add? Yeah. So the gear thing is interesting. When you have a client that comes in and you you pick up the phone or, or they call in or email you and they say, they sound something like this and they say, um, hello, excuse me. I was considering recording at your studio and um, I was wondering if you have an 1176 compressor that has serial number between 400,000 and 500,000, we're only interested in recording with someone that has a 1967 1176. Do, do you happen to have one of those? Run. And without a doubt, someone in the audience is saying, actually, actually, <laughs> the 1970s were serial number 125,000 through 245,000. Yeah. So when somebody calls you and they're belittling about what you do for a living and that they're like, well, I know how to do this, but I want to hire you to do it for me. That's a red flag. I'll get emails like this all the time asking, you know, super duper specific weirdo technical questions and it's it's at some point you don't want not at some point really in general if they don't trust you you don't want them to hire you if they don't trust you it's going to be a nightmare so when they ask these super specific odd requests or odd questions and they're it's clear that they have trust issues and that they're not going to hire you to do a great job at what you do well then that can be concerning And going back to where I was talking about anything that makes you think, what the fuck? That is one of those things, in my opinion. But there's also things like requests of them bringing in certain gear into the studios. Like, I guess these two go hand in hand, but someone bringing in their Line 6 Spider 2 amp into the studio. (laughs) I used this as an example before. But like just a really garbage amp, but that's like, that's their amp. That's their tone that they want. And bands that have had that sort of request where they just wanted ultra-specific gear, especially awful gear, if it makes you say, what the fuck? It's probably a red flag. Yeah. So another one of these odd requests is 
Oh boy, I know a lot of you are going to start laughing when I say this. It's the phrase, I'll promote your studio. Yeah, basically saying they'll exchange promotion in favor of lower rates or cheaper rates or free work. Yeah, that's a red flag. And not to say that, you know, exchanging publicity for free studio work in some situations isn't necessarily a bad thing, but the bands who specifically come to you requesting that, those are the ones that are going to be a red flag. I've never seen a larger band ever come to someone with that sort of request, at least not one that wasn't a nightmare to work with. Yeah. So I think if there's anything on our a la carte menu of nine red flags to look for, um, probably the most surefire one that we're going to have is when someone specifically reaches out to you and then their first email to you or their first phone call, they're trying to barter, I'll promote your studio. Run. Those are not good projects. Those are, those are toxic people. And I think some of these odd requests actually tie in to our second red flag here, and that is unrealistic expectations. So I'm going to go back and say, you know, the certain gear that they're requesting, that serial number 200,000 on the 1176, their expectation is that that gear is going to have some sort of magic to it when it really it doesn't. Uh, so let's talk about the unrealistic expectations, because there are going to be some little bit of a crossover on some of these red flags, but... These are two different things. So the first is odd requests. The second is unrealistic expectations. And I think the most common one you're going to see is instant fame. Yeah. When you meet a client and they are convinced that they're one step away from making it, that tends to be scary for me. I'm sure there are exceptions to that rule, but I have repeatedly seen not only you know some of my own clients, but many of my friends' clients that when their customer, when their client um, is just fixated on this is it, all I have to do is finish this record and it's going to go viral, that's a problem. You know, it's really rare to hear those stories anymore of, oh, they made a record and blew up. It's usually a grind. It's, I came up with a system and kept making records and kept promoting and kept playing the same shows and the same clubs and the same cities over and over and over again, and I grew into it. When someone has this expectation that, all I need is this, and then I'll be famous. Yeah, that's that's a red flag. And a little bit about my backstory is I was in a metal band called My Children, My Bride. We were never that big. But you know, we got to the point where we were able to pull 700 to 1,000 people in certain cities. You know, We're playing decent size audiences, at least in the metal genre. And at no point was there ever just a success time. There was never a point where we're just like, we're successful now. There was never a point where we just had a thousand people at a show out of nowhere. It was literally, we would play a city, there'd be 40 people there the first time. We'd come back a year later, there'd be 70 people there. We'd come back six months later, there'd be 120 people there. We'd come back next album release, then there'd be 300 people there. And then again, 450 people there and then 700 people. And it was a slow rise after consistent effort put in over time. So those artists that think they're just going to get big out of one record, their first release or their first single, those are the people that are completely out of reality, out of sync with reality. They have unrealistic expectations and they are going to be a nightmare to work with because if someone does not get famous, who are they going to blame? They're going to blame you. And then the relationship is tarnished and it's not your fault. It's their fault for having unrealistic expectations. Yeah. So generally, you know, as far as recognizing that instant fame thing, usually the way I've seen that manifest is that the person thinks that there's one event I'm applying to the voice or I know this A&R guy or yada, yada, yada. There's one specific event where if it goes well, they've made it. That's the thing to watch out for when they're convinced 
Well, my friend Billy uh, was told by his friend Scott, who was told by his friend Steve, that the A&R guy for Columbia Records is going to be at this venue at this time. So watching people for, at open mic night. So my CD has to be done within 45 minutes or else I won't be famous. I love that you started that out without a Southern accent and then slowly went into it because... That's my life. That's your life. I understand that, man. So let's go into the next point in unrealistic expectations. And that is when someone comes to you with an extremely low budget and they have a lot of songs. That is another unrealistic expectation that is a red flag to me. And at no point will that project ever be good. It's always a terrible band. Or will that ever succeed because they just don't understand how the business works. So if someone come to you with a really low budget with requesting an unrealistic amount of songs for that budget or really they want one studio day to record, mix, master, and edit 10 songs, run the other way as fast as possible. Don't even try to negotiate. Yeah, run. And another unrealistic expectation that I've seen is people requesting a super fast turnaround. This is a red yeah. flag a lot of times. Not always, but a lot of times this can be a red flag. Yeah, and that's a big thing you know, that I experience a lot as far as mastering goes. The nature of mastering is it's almost done. Um, the record is getting ready to be released. So there's always, almost always a little bit of a time crunch. What typically concerns me when it's a first-time client asking for a rush project can you have this for me today or can you have this for me tomorrow? And I've never heard of you. I've never worked with you before. That tends to be a little freaky. If it's somebody that I've worked with a bunch of times um, and they say, hey, can you stay late tonight and finish this record? Then yeah, the answer is almost always yes. But if it's a first time client, I think that most people, most studio owners could save themselves a lot of tears <laughs> if they just said, I don't take rush projects from first time clients. That's a great rule. Have you done that yet? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, here's what I do. Um, on my website, if you want to do a rush project, you have to submit um, a form. And then I sort of ask some questions and get a feel for if it's something I'm willing to explore. If it's one song, I'm open to the discussion. It's way more expensive than my normal turnaround time. But it's when it's like, it's a first time client and it's they have a whole album or something like that. Where it's like, why would you hire someone for the first time and it's so dependent on their follow through if you're trying to make a release date. That's just, that's a red flag. It's strange. And that kind of leads us into red flag number three here. So it's kind of the same vein, but that's last minute projects. Now it's last minute projects are a little different in my world than it is in the mastering world. But I guess in the mixing world, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, and this is someone that is generally, you know, last minute projects are not always a red flag. I've stated this before, but a lot of times it just shows a lack of preparedness and they're going to take that lack of preparedness and they're going to put that onto you. And now you have this highly rushed, highly last minute project that is at no fault of your own, but you have this deadline to hit. And now your life is stressed. You're having to work longer. You're having to do all this extra work to get this unrealistic deadline done because they came at you with a last minute project. So that is a red flag that I want people to look out for with skepticism. Anytime someone comes to them and says, hey, you know, can we get in the studio next week? And even if you have those dates available, which I know it's hard to turn down work, but if you have those dates available, I would almost rather have the time off. Not always, but a lot of times, if it's someone who comes to your studio, they're completely unprepared, they, they fail to book a studio in time for their release or before a tour, or they fail to get a mixing project ready for mixing by the time they finish tracking it, and now they're scrambling last second to do this project. Now, I've also had amazing 
projects come to me last minute and it was because say a mixing engineer fell through or a mastering engineer fell through and then now I could come into the rescue. Those are the kind of last minute projects that are okay. But if it's just because of lack of preparedness, that is the kind of stuff that is going to add stress to your life and be a nightmare to work with. Totally. I think the thing you need to watch out for is there are, and again, I think this is a pretty small percentage of people, but there are people who are just, their mode of operation is I have a problem and I make it someone else's problem. And there's a tension there because, you know, as business owners, we want to offer, we want to add value. We want to offer great service. And that's all about doing the unexpected, going the extra mile. But there's something to watch out for there when someone is just constantly trying to make their problem your problem. And there are certain industries where, if we go back to the Billy Decker episode, a lot of his projects are just last minute projects. People finish writing a song, they want a demo mix or whatever. And that's the nature of that style of work. So if that's the kind of world you're in, that's not what I'm talking about here. But it's generally those projects that are super rushed and have a lot of stress associated with them because someone else failed to plan accordingly. And that's the kind of stuff that, in my opinion, is a red flag that needs to be avoided at all costs. The big issue there is that nobody estimates well. They'll say, oh, this will just take us two days. Oh my God, yeah. That's why I actually had a minimum amount of time in my studio. You had to book a minimum of 1.5 to two days per song for tracking, editing, recording, mixing, mastering in my studio. The thing about those people that are last minute is I think even if there is a minimum, that they're going to come in and it's going to say, oh, it's going to take us a day and a half, but we have to release at the end of the day and a half. What that typically means is you're going to be working 18 hours. I've put in over 100 hours a week doing projects like that and it, oof. It's soul crushing. It is soul crushing. And in the situation where it was me taking over someone else's dropping the ball, it was fulfilling because, you know, I hit a deadline that they couldn't hit. And, you know, at that stage of my life, I was willing to put in the work to put up with that kind of stress. But again, that's where you have to weigh your options. You have to weigh what you're willing to do. And, you know, depends on what stage you are in your career. Yeah. I think this is kind of a side note, just sort of a little nugget of truth buried in this episode. I think one of the things that's important and healthy for all of us as audio engineers is to not see the length of time you worked as a badge of honor on a project. The whole hustle conversation, which I think is a different topic altogether, where everything's hustle, 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 work, 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 and, and have no rest. And I'm very much against that, even though my sign off on all the episodes and all my emails is happy hustling. To me, and I think I may have mentioned this before, happy hustling is not the same as just regular hustling. It's not happy hustling. It's happy hustling. I want you to have happy hustling. Um, and it's just like my little play on words. I want to hustle, but I want to do that between eight and five. And then I want to be happy. <laughs> yeah. So that's just sort of a nugget of truth. Don't try to overcompensate by working ridiculously long hours because then you'll work lower quality than you typically would, which makes it unsustainable. Not to mention the psychological damage and if you read the book Peak Performance, which is what I recommended, I just finished reading that a couple of weeks ago. Peak Performance, they say to stay at peak performance, and they've looked across all sorts of industries and all sorts of professions, to stay at peak performance, it's stress plus rest. And that is basically the same as when you're working out, you want stress and rest. You're not growing muscles in the gym. You're growing muscles when you sleep and rest. You're destroying your muscles in the gym. You're stressing them, and then you are resting properly. So let's move out of this because we're on this really long side tangent here. Let's move into number four, red flag number four. Chris, you take this one. Weird comments. That's not what you have written in the outline. Let's I know, but I don't like to say naughty words on the microphone. <laughs> I do it plenty in real life. I just, I've got mic issues. 
I love it. So let me just sort of preface this, and I don't say this to brag um, or anything. Like this is just sort of the reality of being a mastering engineer. I've been in business for about ten years, and when you master, you work on a lot of projects if it's going well. So I've worked with a couple thousand people as a mastering engineer. So the thing that's sort of unique as a mastering engineer is you get really experienced working directly with customers. And as a result, you see some red flags. It's a numbers game and that, you know, it's not 12 projects a year. Sometimes it might be 12 projects a week. Right. So in my world, you may work on four to six projects a month. In your world, you may work on four to six projects a day. Yeah. You know, it might be like two EPs and four singles or something like that in a single day. That's not uncommon at all. So these comments, like I've been astounded that I'll get them from people in my inbox and it'll be like, hmm, seen that before. And lo and behold, it's a nightmare project. It's a nightmare project or it doesn't materialize or (laughs) my favorite is like, I'll get a red flag for them and then they end up not booking a project. And three years later, they come back and book the project that they were originally talking about three years ago. And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but It's just a sign that there's something going on there. So here's just a couple of them. The phrase, I'm an up and coming. If your first contact from a potential customer contains the phrase, I'm an up and coming, and then fill in the blank, (laughs) they're not. Yes. Run. Those are are not good clients. And they're typically fishing for something free. And they're also... That's probably going to be accompanied with one or more of these other red flags we've mentioned. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) I always joke about one of my favorite things to do on this podcast is to preach it myself from like 10 years ago. I think you mentioned that every episode. So yeah. I mentioned it every episode. So self from 10 years ago, man, you could save yourself some time (laughs) and energy if you paid attention to me here. Up and coming. You need to do a Google inbox search for that phrase. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Up and coming. You don't want to use that. Another thing, and again, this isn't always bad, but it's almost always a red flag. When they say, I've hired three other engineers and none of them did a good job. They're bouncing around from engineer to engineer. There's only one common denominator in that equation, and that's the artist. Exactly. So not to say I've had good customers that have bounced around to multiple mastering engineers and show up with me. Those typically, they bounce around project to project. So it's they do a project with one guy, and then they do a project with the next guy, and then they do a project with me, and then they stick with me. I've had people call me up and said, you know, I've had three different mastering engineers master my entire album, and I hated all of them, and I want to hire you to master it. That's a red flag. Especially if they are derogatory towards the people they've worked with. If they're shit-talking them, that's a red flag in and of itself. We could do a whole episode on that where typically those guys are only listening in, in one set of speakers and they're evaluating everything based on whether it sounds perfect in their room, not whether it's the most portable sounding master they've ever heard. So that's a big thing. And this one, <laughs> myself from 10 years ago, this next piece of advice would be blown away that I was giving myself this advice. Bad grammar. Most of my first contacts are via email And bad grammar is a red flag. I hated English class. Hated. There's no way any of our listeners know anyone that hated English class in high school more than I did. That was oddly one of my only subjects I was great at, and that was English and math. Everything else, it was a D or an F for me. I almost didn't graduate because of English class. Well, it's funny because in our outline, you actually misspelled grammar. So I I had a laugh at that. (laughs) 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 I corrected it already. 
I appreciate that. I'm not a good speller, which is weird because I read a lot. But for me, it's no periods or run on sentences, run on sentences. Yeah. Or just you read their email and you're like, I'm not sure if I have any idea what they're talking about. You know, if it's a well-composed email, I think it shows restraint and it shows self-control. And that's what you're looking for in a client. Especially well-formatted email. I've seen emails from people that use like bold and italics and they like have well-formatted bullet points and they have like it's spaced correctly and all that shit. And you're like, they put a lot of care into this and that's going to be the type of person I'm going to be working with. And I would love to work with that type of person. So yeah, the inverse of here. Yeah. Is a well-formatted email is a green flag. Is that what we would call this? Green light. A green light that this person's going to be awesome. And so just to recap, we're halfway through our eight red flags right now. So the first, just to recap, we had auto requests. Then we had number two was unrealistic expectations. Number three was last minute projects. And the number four, the one we just finished there was weird ass comments. <laughs> All right, let's get to number five here. And this is actually one that I had on the list. This is one of my contributions. And that is something that I call word vomit. Have you ever actually sat down and thought about where your next client will come from? Most freelancers don't because most freelancers, number one strategy for getting new clients is something called hope marketing. And if that sounds like you, you're not alone. Most freelancers think that just by putting out great work, clients will come banging down your door to hire you. Now, while you obviously do need to be good at what you do, we both know that this strategy does not work. Otherwise, your calendar would be 100% booked solid with amazing projects from your ideal clients. So to help you with this fight against hopium addiction, I'm excited to announce that our flagship coaching program, Clients by Design, has finally opened up applications again. This transformational coaching journey is not a one-size-fits-all. It's tailor-made just for you. We'll do a deep dive into your business to see what's missing, and we'll lay out a step-by-step roadmap to guide you over the next six to eight months. And here's the best part. We don't just give you the plan and send you on your way. We give you personal one-on-one help so you never get stuck. And we make sure you actually follow through with something called our absolute accountability system. So if you're ready to stop relying on hope marketing and ready to start building your own client acquisition machine so you can get a steady flow of clients, then it's time to step up and apply for clients by design and see if you're a good fit. Just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach. And I'll be the first to say that this program is not for everyone. So far, we've only accepted about 25% of those who apply. So if you want to find out if you're a good fit, just go to sixfigurecreative.com slash coach and fill out the application. Now here's our show. Word vomit is, it comes in two different ways. It can be through Facebook Messenger, text messages, or email, and it can be in person or on the phone. And so here's how to spot word vomit on email or Facebook Messenger or text. It's usually long, unbroken blocks of text, what we call novels in the text messaging world. Uh, Or it could be just a series of texts over and over and over again with no reply in between. But generally, it's going to be an email. It's going to be just a long life story of way too much irrelevant information. When you get those emails, you almost always want to run because if you take a look at how long that email is, you just got from that artist can you even begin to imagine how long your list of revisions will be when you finish, start to finish up that project (laughs) (laughs) or when you're on the phone or in person and they just keep talking at you. You're not replying. You're barely giving them acknowledgement as far as head nods and and uh uh-huhs, you know, that kind of stuff, but they keep talking and they won't listen to body language. They won't listen to your lack of engagement in the conversation. They're just completely oblivious. That is also word vomit. And you generally want to avoid working with those types of people. And not always, but generally because they lack self-awareness. And if they lack self-awareness, they're going to 
generally going to fall into one of these other red flags and it's going to make your project an absolute nightmare. Yeah. So this is something I kind of wrestle with. You know, if I get an email that's 1500 words from somebody, especially if it's a hello and then 1500 words, that I would call that like an orange flag for me. And, and that's just me and mastering world here. It can be concerning. It's usually the content is usually what concerns me. If it's well laid out and there's a good story and they're not like talking about like chemtrails or something like that uh, in their first email, true story, that has happened to me. And um, then that's relevant. Can we stop and just talk about what chemtrails actually are for a second? They're just condensation from the planes. They're not actually chemtrails from planes. Yeah. Wait till your second email to pull up the conspiracy theory. <laughs> yeah. Well, something you said really jumped out at me. I've seen this as a red flag with clients in the past before. And I would say 99 out of 100 people I work with are awesome. They're amazing. One out of 100 can be a little goofy. And when I get five emails in a row that often it'll be them changing their mind, but not even like I haven't even responded yet. Oh, God. Yes. I've seen that. Yeah. That's a red flag where it's like, why did you just send me five different emails? Dude, I've gotten emails that are like, they give me a list of revisions. And then like before I even wake up in the middle of the night, they've emailed me like three more times with like contradicting revisions and going back on what they originally asked for. And it's just like, yeah. oh. well, back to the restraint, you know, like making art is hard. It's stressful. It's terrifying. And what you're looking for in an ideal customer is somebody who can say, I'm going to gather myself. I'm going to figure out my opinion and I'm going to stick to it. And, you know, like the thing you're really looking out for there, I think the worst thing that you can have in a client and that all these red flags typically indicate, not the worst, it's the worst from our nerdy perspectives as audio engineers, is when you get an email on one day, thanks man, mixes are approved, way to go. And then the next day, yo man, these ain't sounding too hot. Yeah, they go back on their opinion of what it was, yeah. Yeah, when they unapprove something. Six months later. Six months later. <laughs> that's not good. So yeah, but these people that don't have restraint it's a maturity thing. These are what you're looking out for because that's, that's soul crushing. All right, let's move into number six here in our outline. Red flag number six, a bad attitude. And this can be seen in a number of ways at any point. And these first two on this kind of go together. Being passive aggressive, that can be shown in a number of ways, the least of which just being one word replies. You've all been in conversations with like a significant other where they're, <laughs> You devolve into the one word passive aggressive replies. Um, that's generally a good red flag if you're talking to an artist at any point and they become passive aggressive or just short and curt with you or just really have any sort of bad attitude. Sometimes people just have bad days, right? We can always give people the benefit of a doubt. But if people just have shitty attitudes, it's generally going to carry over into a project. So if you encounter a, someone with a bad attitude before the project even begins, that is definitely a red flag. Yeah, so a big piece of that too with the one-word answers are non-descriptive answers. Oh, yeah. You know, when you ask a question and they don't answer it. Especially if it's important project-related information that you need to know and they just pass right over it, either due to their own inability to answer correctly or their unwillingness to answer the questions you need the answers to. Yeah, yeah. So for my world in mastering land over here, you know, if someone emails me back when I send a master and they say, you know, I don't like how this sounds. And I was like, oh, tell me more about that. And they'll say, there are frequencies in it that I don't like. <laughs> um, okay, what frequencies are they? Can you give me 
at least one of three ranges, high, mid, low? Yeah, exactly. You're paying attention at the beginning when you first interact with a client to avoid this sort of interaction in the future. And then obviously, we don't have to really say much about, you know, if they insult you, insult your staff, insult anyone around you, or even insult other people behind their backs to you, that is a great sign that you just have a bad attitude and you don't need to be working with them at all. And that can also be insulting of each other. So if they just have a bad culture within their band, a toxic culture within their band where they just constantly fight, bicker, and argue, that is going to make the project very difficult, especially if you have the artist in the studio with you. I've had this over and over and over again in my life where the band is just absolute toxic attitudes towards each other. And that makes the entire experience horrible for me and them in the studio. And I would just much rather... Instead of booking them in my studio, put some other band in there. Some of them I'm going to enjoy working with. Some of them going to ex- enjoy the experience and make it more fun for everyone because they're not just shitting on each other's lives the entire time. So I have a team of mix engineers that work for me that do mixing as well. For some reason, I'm still not sure why. We'll have people reach out for mastering and then decide to also hire my team for mixing as well, which is great. We love it. It's absolutely fantastic. We've mixed tons and tons of projects too. But we had a client one time that cussed out one of my mix engineers. Ooh, no, 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 no. Yeah, which was surprising because it's like he's like the nicest guy ever and does great work. And this guy just got frustrated and lost his head. And then he came back a month later and wanted to work with the same engineer again. Like I told him straight up, I was like, if you email him and apologize, then we can consider that. But you would need to do that first. I'm not going to put anybody that's working for me in a situation where they have to be berated by a customer who's being belligerent and cussing them out and trying to cut them down. That's a absolutely under no circumstances am I cool with that like that's kind of just me in a nutshell like I don't it drives me nuts to go to a restaurant and to see people treat the staff at the restaurant poorly this idea of like I'm in one class and you're in another you're in the service class man screw that I hate that being respectful and being kind that's the spice of life man make friends and and build relationships and interact what's the point of like going out and interacting with people or living in a city unless you're friendly. All right, let's move on to number seven of our red flags. And that is, (laughs) this is actually hilarious to me, their email address. This is a big one for Chris. And I vouch for him on this because now that he's pointed this out, I have noticed this, but Chris states that he can tell if it's going to be a red flag project simply by looking at the person's email address. Talk about this. So again, this is something I think specific to mastering world. You know, when you've been able to run a business for, you know, a decade or so, you're going to interact with a lot of people. And one of the first things you see when someone reaches out for the first time is their email address. And I, I always read the email address to see what it is. There's a lot you can tell about that individual by the email address that they've chosen. Is it from an official website? You know, their name at bandname.com is usually a pretty good sign. Their name at hotmail.com is a little different. So let me just kind of go through some nuggets of wisdom here. In my experience, and again, take this with a grain of salt, might be different for you. And again, Chris has a lot of data to go by here. Chris has seen many, many, many more bands than I ever will work with simply by the fact that he works with a high volume of artists. And I work with, you know, less volume for more price per project. So Chris has seen tons and tons of email addresses (laughs) in his lifetime. I would say more than 10,000. So these are just, take them or leave them. You know, this is a la carte. In my experience, if their email address contains the word official, not a good sign. Especially, 
if it's official such and such artist at gmail.com, how official is a Gmail account? It's not very official. That's a sign that I'm not, I'm a little concerned with. The second one, and again, this is going to be not for everybody, but if the word DJ <laughs> is in their, their email address, that, that, that can be concerning. Well, it's funny. We had, we had someone asking for a discount <laughs> and Sean gave me all the information because Sean's the one that handles all my, my email stuff. And we <laughs> looked at this guy's email address and it had, it started out with the, the letters DJ. <laughs> and, and me and Sean had to laugh about this because this is something that Chris has mentioned to us before. If the, if the, if DJ is in the person's email address, it's going to be a red flag. And we just had to laugh about this. So I will vouch for you on that. We just had a recent experience with someone asking for a discount, which we'll never give when you ask for a discount. You're never going to get one if you just straight up ask for it with us. Because um, it would have been a nightmare person to work with anyway. So Yeah, so that's the thing. The word DJ, you got to think about, this isn't against you know EDM guys or you know techno guys or whatever. If they're legit, it's going to be their name at artist.com. It's not going to be DJ Jazzy Jeff at hotmail.com or yahoo.com. Yeah. So the next word, I would say there's a 99.9% accuracy rate on this. If the word young in any spelling, (laughs) correct spelling, Y-U-N-G, I can't think of any other spellings for young, but I've seen many. (laughs) The word young, usually a bad sign. Maybe not for everybody, but for me, that tends to be a dead end. The next thing here is their email provider. You can tell a lot from someone by the email provider. Do they have an actual website? Is it bob at bobsband.com? That's a good sign. That means they take it seriously. They want to, they want to be presented to the world and they know people are going to look at their email address and judge them. It's true. And that's another take home for us on this podcast is as listeners know that your email address, it's your first foot in the door. When you email somebody, they're going to judge you based on what your email address looks like. Unless you're Billy Decker, and then you can get away with a Comcast email address without any qualms at all. Yeah. But but no one else is Billy Decker. He's the only one that can pull that off. So you don't have that excuse. Exactly. If you're over 40, your email address is probably going to look a little different. And there's, there's different rules there. But I would say the first thing to ask yourself is, and no offense to anyone that has one of these accounts, but who still uses Hotmail? Hotmail is from the 90s. It hasn't been doing well for two decades. <laughs> if you're still using your Hotmail email, you can deduce something about that individual. Maybe not with 100% accuracy, but it should be a note in your mind that, oh, they have a Hotmail account. Any of the antiquated ones, Yahoo, Hotmail, AOL. Yeah. AOL can be interesting. AOLs, in my experience, typically tends to be an older client, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. And then the last one, the most obvious one is, you know, if their email address is comical, you know, it's like <laughs> bigballs43 at AOL.com. You can tell something about, you know, especially if they use something, you know, vulgar like that. So you're telling me if DJ bigballs43 <laughs> at AOL.com. Give him a discount. Negotiate with him. Wait, young DJ bigballs43 at AOL.com. <laughs> Wait, can we make that one further? Official DJ Young Big Balls. That, wait, that was that went way that went the wrong direction. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Moving on. Moving on. Only give him a discount if he's up and coming. There you go. Oh my god. Yeah, so I know this seems like 
I'm sure at least a few people are, are listening to this and like, this is crazy. You can't tell anything about someone from their email address. I beg to differ. You really can. Unless you've seen more than 10,000 email addresses and you can argue against that with Chris. Yeah. So take that home. Just sort of keep that in the back of your mind of like, look at their email address when you get an email from a potential client. But also look at your own email address. If the first thing someone saw about you was your email address, what's their first impression? That's important to think about. Amongst my students uh, this past week, and they were asking, should they get um, their studio name at gmail.com or their name at their studio name.com or whatever? And they were just getting started. They weren't you know, well-established yet. They didn't have a lot of income for the studio yet. And I just said, hey, just get your studio name at gmail.com. And that's fine for now. That's what I did. I started out at live.com for a long time. And then eventually I wised up and got at gmail.com. So 456 recordings at gmail.com. And then when I became a professional and understood all of this stuff, I've signed up for Google and got their custom domains and got Brian at 456recordings.com. So I think if you're just starting out and you know you you just want to get started and have something to work with, just do your name or your studio name at gmail.com. And that's better than 99% of the other solutions you have other than just getting your actual domain for five bucks a month. Yeah. So the getting your own domain thing is interesting. If you're trying to do this professionally, if you're trying to do this for a living, you, you need to make the jump at some point to having that email address, especially if you're younger. And the big question there, I think, you know, again, this is a la carte, is that if their first impression of you is your email address, I think you should totally go for the domain. It's positioning one-on-one. Are you positioning yourself as a beginner or as a professional. Exactly. So it's a good question to kind of go with this is if you're going to go in and do a bunch of job interviews, should you buy a suit before you do job interviews or should you wait until after you get the job? That suit is going to have an impact on whether you get the job or not. So it's this weird catch 22 system. In certain industries, for sure. In certain industries. Yeah, obviously. I don't like wearing suits. If I do, I wear them with my chucks just to let the world know that I'm a rebel. And I'm, I'm not going to dress up all pretty. I wear suits at big conferences. That's about it. I wear them at weddings. That's it. I'll be going to the uh, Traffic and Conversion Summit in San Diego later this month. About the time this episode comes out, actually. And I'll be wearing nice suit stuff, custom-made clothes in there. And that's just how I roll. Awesome. All right, number eight. The final red flag that we have on our list today. And this is one I came up with and one I've seen myself. And that is someone that is unwilling to put their money where their mouth is. And so this is less common in Chris's world because he doesn't take a project until he's been paid for it. He actually takes payment on his site. You can't even, you can't do much without paying anything. In your world, they pay before they even submit their files, right? Unless they're doing a test master. Yeah. But again, mastering's a little different. My turnaround time is six business days right now. So to pay upfront for six business days is not a big deal as opposed to to pay all up front for a four-month production project is kind of crazy. This is true. But in my opinion, there has to be some sort of money in the game for it to be a serious project. Otherwise, to me, it's a red flag. So in my opinion, if someone will not pay a deposit, that is a red flag. I've had no flack from any serious artist I've ever seen, any artist that was a pleasure to work with. I've never seen them bulk at the deposit. So my policy has always been 40% deposit. Sometimes I'll take 50% on some smaller projects, but generally on these big ones, I'll do 40% deposit. So say it's a $10,000 project, I'll get 4,000 down, non-refundable. If you don't show up, you don't get that money back. This is to cover my costs in case they cancel last minute and I still have my bills to pay because I have 
I have shit to pay for. But if they're unwilling to pay a deposit to put money down on that, to book specific dates on my calendar in the future, that is a red flag to me because they are not serious about working with me. So until someone shows me the money, they are not on my calendar. And likewise, if they're not willing to pay the remaining balance on the first day of recording, or at least before the final masters are delivered or before any mixes are delivered, that to me is a red flag. Now, everyone's a little different on this that second piece, a lot of people are scared to ask for the remaining balance before you do the work. But in my world, I want to be paid in full before I do anything. But don't let that dissuade you from the main point I'm trying to make here on number eight is you want to be making sure you are collecting some sort of payment ahead of time before you agree to work with a project. And if you are afraid that they will not pay you that deposit, even a 10% deposit, just take 10% at the very least, some sort of non-refundable deposit, if they're not willing to pay that, then they are not serious about working with you. The person that is not willing to pay a deposit, those are going to be the people that will cancel last minute. And then you'll have this week or month open on your calendar because you could not scramble to get those dates booked last minute. So in my world, this is very common. I see this all the time. I just saw someone recently message me talking about how they had an entire month cancel on them because the person canceled and they didn't take a big enough deposit to cover your expenses. So in my opinion, your deposit needs to cover whatever your living expenses are if they were to cancel fully. Man, that's that's great stuff. The thing that comes to my mind, and we've talked about this a lot on the podcast, about how important it is to have integrity, how important it is to be honest and to have a reputation for being honest. And I think a lot of people, their impression of business is the way to be successful is to be dishonest. And that's insane. In 2018, if you are dishonest, people will know about it. You won't make it. You don't have a chance. And so with that, that comes into this conversation here. If someone's like, oh, I don't, I don't want to put a deposit down and they're being all suspicious about you, they don't trust you, don't work with them. And tell them that on the rare occasion that I'll get someone that's, that doesn't seem to trust me on the phone that's thinking about hiring me, I'll tell them straight up, if you don't trust me, you shouldn't hire me. That's true. Because think about this. Look at it from this perspective, from this lens here. They just spent at least a year of their life writing all this music, getting it all ready for the studio, and now they're going to go into a studio. Or now they've already recorded the songs and they're hiring you for mixing or whatever it is. At some point in the process, you are touching this thing that they hold near and dear to their heart you are responsible for either pushing it over the edge for the final masters like Chris or turning shit to gold by mixing the songs like what I do, or you are responsible for everything like I used to do from start to finish. Either way, you are the one in control of this entire project. So if they don't trust you enough to pay you deposit, how can they trust you with this thing that they hold near and dear to them? It just doesn't make sense. And on the back end, it's going to be revisions for days because exactly. they're not going to trust you that if I make this change, it's going to make it sound worse on most speakers, but better on your specific pair of headphones or something. If they can't put their money where their mouth is, uh, that is to me one of the biggest red flags that I've seen, that it's the project that if they're not willing to put the deposit down ever, then move the fuck on. Don't even try to deal with it because that that is one with me that I have a hard line. There is no gray area there. If you don't pay a deposit, I do not work with you ever, period. I don't make exceptions on that. And, and I don't think there's many situations where you should be making exception either. That is my one hard red flag there. Let's recap these now, Chris. Go through each of these and let's uh, kind of briefly touch on each one. Yeah, absolutely. So number one here is odd requests. That is anything that makes you say, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, th there should be a natural response of like, that's a weird thing to say. And listen <laughs> or to your, ask. Yeah, listen to your gut on that. 
Number two is unrealistic expectations. That's a really important one to, to check out as well. And especially if you talk to them, communicate that their expectations are unrealistic and they are absolutely unwilling to hear you out. Yeah, in all of these, pretty much if you can address the situation in a conversation and it's not resolved, that is where it is a red flag. So some of these, it's just kind of one of those, you know, what's the benefit of the doubt? Is the benefit of the doubt, you know, that maybe you just misunderstood a situation or maybe that they just didn't quite get it. And once you had a conversation, it was resolved. You know, some of these require a conversation and, you know, unrealistic expectations is one where you can have a conversation. You can make sure you set realistic expectations, but if they still don't get it, move on. All right. So number three, that would be last minute projects. Now, again, this is not always the case. It's just dependent on the situation. So every single situation may differ, but a lot of times if it's just due to a lack of preparedness, last minute project, definitely a red flag. And these two are connected, number three and number two, these last minute projects and my experience, especially for producing projects, typically are from people who have an expectation of being instantly famous the second the music drops. All right. Number four, this one is weird ass comments. And again, listen to your gut on this. Listen to your instincts. And if your instincts are telling you that's a weird comment, you should pay attention. Hi, man, but I'm up and coming though, you know? Up and coming. All right, number five is word vomit. So just tons and tons and tons and tons of text or emails in a row or just long unbroken blocks of emails. Number six is bad attitude. That one's so self-explanatory, it hurts. I'm not even gonna say anything there. <laughs> number seven is uh, if your email address is young DJ official, bigballs43 at AOL.com. <laughs> and number eight is unwilling to put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. So again, like we said, these are a la carte. These are not going to work in every culture, in every market, in every genre, in every niche. In every stage of your career either. Everyone's at a different stage in their career. Yeah. I think it's yeah important to recognize that this is, we're not about the one size fits all advice here. Something to think about, you know, hopefully this is helpful for you guys and, you know, helpful in growing your businesses, but also helpful in not making you miserable so that you can continue to make music for a living. Yeah. And I would say, if you can take one thing away from this episode, sit down, think about, you know, which of these red flags you would like to add to your list of red flags to look out for, you know, maybe all of these, maybe if you have specific ones, you know, this is not a all inclusive list. There are more red flags than this, but this is just eight that we could come up with today. And I would say, write down red flags you've experienced, ones that you know that you will never want to work with someone again, if they exhibit some sort of behavior or some sort of indication that they could be a red flag or a nightmare to work with, because at the end of the day, for every single nightmare project you take on, that is, there's probably a great project that you passed up on because you had, every time you say yes to a project, you're saying no to another one. Uh, depending on what stage in your career you're in, of course, because not everyone has that luxury. But And if it's a bad project with a crazy client, you probably turn down two good projects. <laughs> it's going to weigh down. Yeah, yeah it's going to take it's going to take you twice as long. And a lot of times, these red flags you ignore, they turn into projects that... You should have done in the first place. They end up terribly. Uh, the, either the final product's bad or the whole experience is bad or the client is unhappy and they end up hating you for it. And it's your fault that they hate you because you should have never taken the project on in the first place. And now they're out there as a toxic asset to you, your studio, your brand. They may have left you bad reviews. They're bad-mouthing you to everyone in their area, to all their friends and family, even maybe online in places. So to completely ignore red flags to me is absolute amateur behavior. And, you know, we'll never say that any of these are 
complete no's. So if you experience one of these things, you'll never work with a client, but you have to use judgment with these. And so if you just blatantly ignore these eight and the other ones that are out there, if you just blatantly ignore red flags that people throw up all the time and you take on projects that are a nightmare and you take on projects that are bad for you, that both physically and mentally and emotionally and financially, and it ruins your career or damages it in some way, that is on you. That is always on you. So we want the best for you. Chris and I honestly want the best for all of our listeners. And that starts with with knowing what to look out for on these nightmare projects. Yeah. So I think just an interesting question to ponder is if you are going to do this and be successful, is it going to be because you had enough good clients or too many bad clients? Are you going to burn out or are you going to starve to death? You know, having enough good clients is about eating. It's about having enough business coming in, but having too many bad clients, having too many red flaggers that can burn you out. It can take you out. It can get you, you know, one star reviews. It can create a bad reputation for you where suddenly nobody will hire you. In my opinion, a toxic client is far worse than having three great clients is better. That was, that was the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. You want to try that again? <laughs> you want to try that again? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I would say my piece of advice here is to keep in mind that you're probably going to go out of business as a result of toxic clients, not as a lack of good clients. The toxic clients are exhausting and you have to watch out for them because they take gas out of your tank. And if that happens, you'll never make it. So I think it's really, really, really important to focus on finding more and more amazing clients with the time that you could have spent working for a bad client that then spirals out of control. So that is it for this episode of the Six Figure Home Studio Podcast. Next week's episode is one that we are excited about because we cover something that's going to be helpful for every single recording studio owner period, no matter what level you are at, because we're going to talk about the five stages of a successful recording career. So whether you are an absolute beginner, you've never been paid before, or you are already a six-figure home studio or commercial studio owner, and you're wondering, what is next? What do I do at this point? What is the next level after this? We'll be talking about each of these five stages and exactly what you could be doing in order to get to that next stage or that next level in your career. So stick with us next week, next Tuesday, that episode will be available for your listening pleasure. So until next time, happy hustling. Whoa.